Welcome back. We are uh, back in our study, Christianity 101, looking through the book of Judges. Uh, we are actually going to be in Judges chapter 2 today, so we got through chapter 1 pretty quick. Um, the thing that we need to remember about Judges chapter 1 and Ju- Judges chapter 2, and I just figured this out, I don't know why I didn't see it before, is that they are a review of some of the time of Joshua. So uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but um, at the end of Judges chapter 2 is where Joshua actually dies, and then Judges chapter 3, the children of Israel are on their own. So um, this is Judges chapter 1 happened during the reign of Joshua, and uh, they still were not, which makes what they did even worse in that they were uh, ignoring the the leader that God had put before them, but um, <clears throat> we're going to see that that's nowhere near the end of, of the cycle. So uh, Judges chapter 2, we're going to be in verse number 1, and we're going to go through uh, verses 1 through 5 this morning. Um, Judges chapter 2, and the Bible says, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim, and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt, and have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lift up their voice and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. We love you. We thank you for this glorious day. Lord, we thank you for your love, your care, your provision, and your protection. Lord, there are so many blessings that you give us each and every day that we take for granted. Things that uh, we don't even see. So Lord, please, work in our hearts today. Help us to know and understand your heart and your care for us. Lord, help us to not be like Israel, to not forget all that you've promised and all that you've done for us already. God, please help us each and every day to walk with you and to worship you and to serve you because we love you. Lord, please guide and direct today. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Yes. One prayer request before you get started. Yeah. Uh, my daughter and her family are in flight right now, uh, going to Myrtle Beach. So if you will just pray for their traveling mercies. Absolutely. Um, let's do that right now. Father God, again, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to gather here. Lord, we do think about, uh, is it Truly? Yeah. We think about Truly and her family as they're on their way to vacation and and training for her husband. God, I just pray that you would guide and protect, Lord, that you would uh, help them to arrive safely, help them to enjoy their time, would help the training to go well. Uh, But Lord, most of all, uh, just be with them. Help them to be a bold and effective witness for you while they're there. So God, please, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I guess I should have prayed that his luggage didn't get lost. 
That's, that's, that's the important part. It's, really, it's not even, it's useless to pray that because they're going to lose it. Yeah, well. Um, it's just difficult with the airlines. Yeah. So, as I said a minute ago, Judges chapter 1 and Judges chapter 2 are a reminder. They are, uh, these two chapters took place during the reign of Joshua uh, because we see Joshua here in Judges chapter 2. Um, at one time I thought this was a flashback and it's really not. The way that it reads is this is just a review of what's happening the last, uh, last times of Joshua as he's getting ready to pass on. And we see that uh, in, if you go back to Joshua chapter 15 and verse number 16, um, we'll see a, a very familiar passage here that we've already talked about. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 15 and verse number 16 says, And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjasephir and taketh it, to him will I give Axe of my daughter to wife. And Othniel the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Axe of his daughter to wife. And it came to pass, as, he came, as she came in unto him, that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted off her ass, and Caleb said unto her, What wouldst thou? This is repeated in Judges chapter 1 and verses number 12 through uh, 15. And we already talked about how they how Israel had uh, started to walk away from the Lord and how they had not been content with God's provision and His promise. And that's what <clears throat> Judges chapter 2 and verse number 1 is reminding us of. Uh, it's reminding us as God sends the angel uh, to speak to Israel, he's going to remind them of God's provision and his promise for them. Uh, God had promised that he would drive out the inhabitants of the land. He had promised that he would be with them, that he would provide for them, that he would take them into a land flowing with milk and honey. And he had kept up his end of the bargain. He had brought them into the land, he had begun to drive out the inhabitants. I mean, the miracle at Jericho, <clears throat> and over and over again as God gave them victory in battle, yet Israel refused to hold up their end of the deal. <clears throat> and we have to understand, <clears throat> excuse me, that there is always another side to what God has for us. We love God's promises to us. Uh, we talked about we're learning verses, memorizing verses about salvation. You know Romans ten, uh, ten ten that if thou shalt confess, sorry, that's the verse before. Romans ten ten for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We have to confess, we have to believe, and then God saves us. We have a part in everything that happens with God. Otherwise, we would just be the animals. You know, Noah built the ark and God brought the animals. The animals didn't have anything to do with building the ark and saving themselves. They just obeyed God and followed where he, showed, where, he, where he sent them. But Israel had forgotten their responsibilities. In verse number 2, 
says, and you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Joshua, uh, in the book of Joshua, as he's they're coming out of Ai and um, after after the failed attempt and then the victorious attempt they're coming out of ai and uh we remember that the the men fake that they've been on a long journey and they bring moldy bread and wear worn out shoes and clothes and and old bottles of wine and and they come and and they want to make a make a covenant with with israel and and israel doesn't even joshua doesn't even seek the lord he just assumes that they're telling the truth and all of a sudden he realizes after he's already made the covenant with them, that they are in the land, that they're they're neighbors. They were the next people on the list. And God rebukes them. But then Israel, as they went on to conquer, they didn't didn't throw down the altars. They didn't uh, destroy the false worship that was in the land. And we're going to see that it's that false worship that influences Israel for... The rest that is still influencing them today. But again, we need to understand we we have a responsibility. Just as Israel did, we have a responsibility in our own lives to live and walk with God, to serve Him and to worship Him the way that He wants us to do it. It's it's not just enough to to be alive. It's service. It's loving and and caring and being thankful for what God has done. Psalm 23 is one of my favorite passages. It's six simple verses. And I think I've gone through this with with you guys before. I know I have in in other places. But Psalm 23 is David proclaiming God's goodness. Proclaiming all the things that God has done for him, and not not all the things, but uh, an overview of the things that God has done for him. Verse number one says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now that's a great psalm of praise for everything that God has done. But we have to remember that David had a part in all of this. In order for him to be able to say, The Lord is my shepherd, David had to put himself under the Lord. He had to be willing to obey the Lord. For him to be able to say, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He had to be willing to follow. He had to be willing to to go and be where the Lord wanted him to be. And when you think of verse number 2, and you think of David as he's fleeing from Saul, and you think of all the time, there's multiple times where David and his men are hiding in the shadows around the outside of the cave and Saul and his men are sleeping in the middle of the cave. David had to be willing to go through those times. It wasn't by mistake that David went to the Philistines and served and 
uh, fought with them. But David had to be willing to go. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for him, his name's sake. That brings me to mind the, the time when David is going and, and he's in the land of the Philistines and, and uh, he comes up on Nabal. Um, and Nabal's... Uh, is it Nabal? Who? Yeah, Nabal. And, and, and he sends men to say, you know, help us. Give us food. And, and they rebuke the men because David is running away from the king and, and is a, uh, a servant on the loose. And, and David gets mad and he's getting ready to send his men to slaughter Nabal. He said, we've protected you. We, we've cared for you. We've, we've kept everything that you've had. We've not taken anything from you and you're treating us like this. And, and Abigail goes and, and she worships and, and she... she gives a gift to David and David is calmed. The Lord keeps him from from killing, from, from needlessly killing. You know, again, all of these things, Psalm 23 is a life that I would love to live, but I have to remember that in all of that, I have a responsibility. If I want my life to look like David's life, if I want to be able at the end of my life to praise God for everything that he's done for me, then I have to live up to my end of the bargain. And Israel has not here. James 4.8 is a, a great example of this. In the New Testament, <clears throat> James, the brother of Christ, the half-brother of Christ, wrote this very short general epistle, general letter. But in James 4.8, it says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. In verse number 7, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I listened to this uh, comedy station on Pandora. It's Christian Comics. And uh, this lady tells a story. Um, her husband is a, was a pastor and uh, had this man come up. And we had a similar experience in Louisiana. Um, had this man come up in the middle of the night, uh, wake the pastor up and yelling and screaming. And he's saying, Pastor, pray for me, pray for me. And... The devil's all over me. And the pastor prays for him and and the man calms down and he says, can you give me a ride over here? So he gives him a ride to this convenience store. The guy comes back out. Go, they go through the whole situation several times and, and uh, finally the man goes home and the pastor goes home and the next day the police show up at the pastor's door. And... They say, sir, we're, we're looking for somebody that's driving a car that matches yours that was seen at this place, this place, and this place. Uh, we think he's an accomplice in, armed, in three armed robberies. And it was the guy that he'd, he'd been driving the guy around, and the guy had been robbing the stores, and the pastor had no idea. But we, we know and we understand as Christians that the devil works 
in this world. That that he he is the God of this world. He he is the one that that uh, deals with <clears throat> not deals with. He is the one that causes many of the problems that we have. And verse number seven in James four tells us how to resist him. You know, we look at Christ as he was tempted in the wilderness, and Christ just repeated scripture back to the devil as he's tempted those forty days. But but he had to do exactly what James chapter four and verse number seven says. He had to submit yourselves therefore to God. Christ was submitted completely to his father, to the will of his father. Um, he went to the devil or to the to the wilderness and fasted and was tempted for forty days because that's where God wanted him to go. And then it says, "Resist the devil, and he will flee from you." It doesn't just say resist the devil. It says, "Submit yourselves, therefore, to God." I had a phone call from Scotty yesterday, and uh, he's struggling. Pray for him. Um, he's on the list. He's on our prayer list, and, and we pray for him often. But he was really struggling yesterday. And, and I could tell by the way he was speaking that he'd been drinking. He doesn't... He wants to quit. He wants to try and become better. But he doesn't want to submit himself to the authority that it takes to be able to do that. He, he still is trying to do it in his own power. I got a text message from Brother Potter this morning um, just encouraging us, uh, the pastors in the area, to, to continue to, to, uh, to serve, and, and, but reminding us that it's not our power. It's not us. We can only do this through God's power. We can only uh, see Iowa changed through the power of God. We can only preach. We can only teach through God's power. It's, it's nothing in us that's worth anything. So Israel had a responsibility and they failed to uphold it. We have a responsibility in our Christian walk, in our Christian life. How are we doing with that responsibility? The angel continues on in verse number 2. He said, And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Remember, we looked in chapter 1, and, and instead of uh, destroying the enemy, instead of removing them, uh, they allowed them to dwell among them. And then there were a few tribes that took it even farther, and, and they were allowed to dwell among the Canaanites. And then the tribe of Dan that was just completely pushed around, uh, that wasn't even allowed to dwell among them, they were pushed into a corner. And we're going to see Dan again at the end of the book, later in the book of Judges, and, and see some of the problems that this brings up. But we have to understand that we don't rise to the minority, we fall to the majority. The Bible tells us that straight is the gate, narrow is the way to salvation, that few are those that find it. And I know I just completely butchered that. But the point is, very few people truly follow God. And yet, those people are easily 
drawn back by the rest of the world. It's very hard to be one person leading many that don't believe the way you believe. You're going to fall backwards. And then the angel just goes on and simply asks a question. He says, why have you done this? Sometimes I find um, when we're dealing with the kids that the hardest question for them to answer is why. Because they haven't thought that far ahead. That part of their brain hasn't kicked in where, where they have to balance and weigh everything they do against the consequences. Because there's always somebody there to pick up the pieces. I uh, <laughs> was working yesterday and I was stapling strips on a screen door that I built and uh, using my new staple gun. And one of the staple legs of the staple went into the board and out of the board and into the end of my thumb and out through my thumbnail. Uh, fish hooked me. And I pulled it off, got it all taken care of. But their first question was, why? Why did it do that? Well, probably because it hit the staple underneath that I used to staple the screen to the door. The strip that I was putting on was just to help protect that and make it look better. More than likely, that's what happened. Or it hit a hard place in the board. But there are so many things that happen in our lives that we don't, we don't look at it and, and understand, truly understand why it happened. When I worked at Harmar, um, if we had a quality issue, uh, we had to go through this several different options, but one of them was, they called it a, a fish bone, and it was basically, it was supposed to look like a fish skeleton with the ribs coming off, and you had to list out the causes of each problem. So, say this, we had a, um, we had a unit come back that was cable-driven, that was supposed to run up and down the stairs. It was a chair that went up and down the stairs and the cable failed and the person rode the chair all the way down to the bottom of the stairs. Now, thankfully, it was a very slow descent. But, and they didn't get seriously hurt, but they did get hurt and there was a court case against us. So they had to go through and figure out why all of that happened. Um, you know, why did the cable break? Well, the cable broke because uh, it was pinched somewhere. Well, why was it pinched somewhere? Because it was installed correctly. Well, why didn't the emergency brakes activate correctly? Well, the emergency brakes didn't act activate correctly because the chair was installed on a set of stairs that didn't meet the requirements. They, they, were, they weren't steep enough um, so that when the emergency feet kicked in, they just rode along the ramp instead of having enough weight to actually drive them in and lock the thing up. Um, so it, it, when it was all said and done, it turned out to be nothing that Harmar did. We built the unit correctly. It was the uh, third party that sold it and the third party that installed it that made the mistakes, and they're the ones that were liable for the damages. But we had to go through this whole process of figuring out exactly what the root cause of everything was. And it didn't help that they sold the unit to someone much larger than the capacity for the 
unit. Um, that's always fun as well. But we always have to go back and ask why. The angel here is just simply saying, why? What made you not do what, I, what God asked you to do? I mean, obviously God has done so much for them. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's, he's made them His own. He's done so much for them, and yet, why? The angel is asking them to look within. And in our lives, we often need to look within and search ourselves to see why we're not seeing the results that God wants for us. If we look at John chapter 8, excuse me, we have a, a very familiar passage here, and this is not a question as much as a statement from Christ, but it, it has the same effect. John chapter 8 and verse number 4, sorry, verse number 3, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Verse number 5 should have been the end of the situation. The law commanded that she should be stoned. And the man that she was committing adultery with should be stoned. But they're bringing her to Christ because they're trying to entrap Christ. Verse number 6, This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooping, stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lift up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus, <clears throat> looking at the crowd, knew their hearts because he was God. He, he knew that they really didn't care that, that she was committing adultery. They, they really didn't care. They, he knew that they were simply trying to trap him. And with one statement of, He who is without sin, let him first cast a stone. He made them look within themselves and they saw themselves for who they truly were. It's this point where the sinner will finally understand their need for salvation. As we go out and we witness at the park and as we, we when we get back to knocking doors and doing all those things, we need to understand as we're talking to people that... Uh, they need to understand who they are. We need to take them to the Scripture that shows them, take them to the law, take them uh, to, the, to the parts of Scripture that show them who they are in God's eyes. And until they truly understand that, they'll never truly understand their need for salvation. And this 
you know, the old, the saying is you have to hit rock bottom. And rock bottom is different for everybody. But you have to come to a point where you understand, I really messed this up. That's why that question why is so important. As we continue on though, the angel is not just asking them why. He is going to give them some correction. He's going to give them a message from God. Verse number 3 says, Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. God in His infinite wisdom is going to correct His disobedient children. God in His infinite wisdom is going to correct His disobedient children. He's not going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. He's going to make them do it. Life is much harder outside of God's will. I mean, it's, it's difficult anyway. But it's much harder when you're not doing things the way that God wants you to do them. In Genesis 3, we see God's punishment for uh, Adam and Eve and, and for Satan. Genesis 3 and verse number 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Verse number 17. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistle, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the, bread, the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Not only did their soul die when they sinned, and they no longer had the opportunity to live with God for eternity, now their life here on earth was going to be much harder. Adam was put in the garden and, and commanded to dress and keep it. But there weren't any weeds to pull. There weren't any thorns. There weren't any thistles. There weren't any any issues. There was no sin. I mean, you've all done gardens. It's really not that hard if there's no weeds there. It's the weeding and, and, and the caring that make it hard. Otherwise, a little sunlight, a little water, and the plants grow. Yet, because of their sin and their disobedience, life is much harder for them. Another example, uh, just the next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, and verse number 10, this is the story of Cain. We know that Cain uh, was a tiller of the ground. It's because of Adam's fall that he worked and toiled at the ground and he brought the wrong sacrifice. Verse number 10, God speaking to Cain and or, yeah, God speaking to Cain. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. 
When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. Now, because of Cain's sin, the earth is not going to bring forth its true potential. You wonder why the farmers are doing all of the, the genetically modified crops and all the other things to try and gain yield. It's not just because they're greedy. It's because there's a demand because the earth is not bringing forth its potential. And it's not bringing forth its potential for many reasons. The m main reason is because we're not doing the work. Uh, Rachel and I were driving the other day. It's been a couple of months ago now. And we headed uh, the back roads from here down to Bondurant and into Ankeny. And I was surprised at all of the farm ground on the east side of Ankeny that has now been turned into houses. And if you go uh, from Ankeny north, how much of that is now business and houses and ground that was producing, that was feeding, that was caring for hundreds of thousands is now consuming instead of producing. You see, God's plan for us was the plan that he had for Cain and Abel, the plan that he had from Adam and Eve is we were supposed to grow our own food, grow enough to provide for us and whatever leftover to share with our neighbors. We, we were supposed to be self-sufficient. And instead, we're reliant now in this day on the government. We're reliant on corporations. We're reliant on grocery stores. We don't grow our own food anymore. We don't grow our own cattle anymore. We consume. Life is much harder when we're outside of God's will. Now there are thorns in the sides of Israel and snares. They are going to fall over and over again into the trap of the gods of this world. 2 Corinthians 6. Second Corinthians six fourteen says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Touch not the unclean thing. 
in another place, the psalmist, uh, or Solomon, the, the one, the, the king who wrote most of the Proverbs, he, he says to flee from sin, to go not near it, to stay away. Yet, 1 Kings 11, 1 Kings 11 has a, a very interesting there's a very interesting passage on Solomon. Solomon, the wisest king that ever lived, uh, the, the young man who sought God's face and sought God's heart and wisdom from God so that he could rule his people. And yet, chapter, 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse number 1, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonians, and the Hittites, Several of those names were supposed to be driven out of the land. Of the nations concerning which the Lord had said, or the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto the, these in love. And he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned away from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. And he commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, allowed the world to afflict him. Allowed the world to pull his heart away from God. And that's why, if you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, another book written by Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse number 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's empty. Everything Solomon did, all of his wisdom, was empty. 
because he chose to not follow God. Because of that, the kingdoms were divided. Because of that, uh, we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And, and even to this day, Israel is still not whole, not complete. But praise the Lord, it took just this little bit of correction and Israel had corporate repentance. Verse number 5, And they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. Bochum is the place of weepers. The word Bochum is translated to, or it means weepers. It's a place of crying, of, of being heartsick. And they began to offer sacrifices. 1 Samuel 15. Now, God accepted their sacrifice. But we need to understand something. 1 Samuel 15 and verse number 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Now, I know the parents of this in this room would much rather have a child that just obeys than one that has to come and weep and ask for forgiveness. God is no different. Matthew 25 Matthew 25 and verse number 14. Sorry, verses 14 through 30. This is the story of the man that came and, and or that, that went on a long journey and he left, uh, left his three servants. He gave one five talents, he gave one two talents, and he gave one one talent. The man that he gave five talents used those five talents and gained other five talents. The man that he gave two talents used those two talents and gained other two talents. And the man that he gave to one talent hid that talent and didn't gain any. And at the end, you see who he was pleased with. The man that was given five talents, that gained five more, was said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The same with the man that had two talents and gained two more. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The, the last man, verse number 27 Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That one man disobeyed because he didn't truly know his Lord. The other two, they knew their Lord. They knew his heart. They knew who he was. The third man, he goes on to describe his Lord to a T, to describe his personality, yet 
he didn't have the heart knowledge to understand that my goals need to be his goals. My life needs to be his life. We're no different. We are at a crossroads here. We are one of these three men. We have to choose, is our life God's life? Is our goal God's goal? Or have we just been given a gift and we're going to hide it away? What is God trying to remind you of? What have you forgotten that He has blessed you with? What are you taking for granted? We've been praying for Brother Stalkup and we've been praying for Brother Metzinger. And I know, Brother Grant, you've gone through this, but all of these men didn't think twice about their heart beating until it wasn't doing it correctly. I don't think about my heart beating each and every day, every second, that keeps me alive, that gives me the ability to do this. And I have no control over whether it does or doesn't. That's entirely in God's hands. He bought us. He paid for us. If we are children of God, He's done so much for us. Let's thank Him and praise Him and worship Him and serve Him, but most of all, let's obey Him.